Ready? Yep. Let's go. Healthy, healthy rainbow. Beautiful fish. <laughs> you dropped him, dude. Stud <laughs> on the squall, baby. Oh, squall. baby. Bo-tastic. Right there. I got it, I got it too. Oh. He barely puts it in the net. But first, a word for our partners. Alaska Rodco, Alaskan Handmade Rods. National Wild Turkey Federation, South Sound Strutters, your conservation organization for Washington State turkey populations and habitats. Heather's Choice, healthy, flavorful, dehydrated meals for the backcountry. Use our discount code, the Young Guides 15 to save at checkout. Shell Art Studio, original Alaskan-focused art. Slay Jays, it ain't all about the catching. Welcome back to another episode of the Young Guides Podcast. I'm Keaton. And I'm Kyle. And on today's episode, we have Mike Scherer. Right, Mike? Is that how you say it? Sure. 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 I, okay. Uh, let me redo that. And on this episode, we have Mike Shear, right? Good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not the very best. I don't know why you let me do this, Kyle. Uh, but so on today's episode, we have Mike Shear. Um, we are fellow guides on the Yakima River. Sometimes he uh, he owns his own outfitter, um, but sometimes he comes and guides with Ellensburg Angler. Uh, Mike's an awesome dude. Uh, we're We're so stoked to have him on today. Um, we were just doing some chatting before and, and just, we're really excited about the season and, and, uh, what he's doing and what we're getting done. So, um, with that being said, welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thanks for having us guys. I'm super excited to be here and, uh, look forward to chatting with you guys. Yeah. Sorry about butchering your name. <laughs> A lot of people do it and it's, yeah. 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 I don't know why Kyle lets me do the intros. Uh, I, I'm just not very good at the name part, but uh, I'm here, so it's real. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Uh, like fishing background, or just my life background, or life life background. Maybe lead into fishing. You know. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, that was where I was born and raised in a small town called uh, Winnetka, just north of Chicago. Um, did my he- full high school career in that area. Um, that is where I learned how to fish. Um, we had a cabin up in northern Wisconsin, and that's where I cut my teeth with a fishing rod and a fly rod. Um, and then but also my big passion growing up was cycling. So. Um, I think I started bike racing when I was about 13 years old and just fell in love with it. So tell my two, two big passions growing up as a kid, whereas, uh, mountain biking and fishing. So, um, that led me to racing at an early age. And then that kind of brought me to college. I didn't pick college be- because of the cycling opportunity there but it was definitely a perk so i up going to school at indiana university down in bloomington indiana and from there i spent my college career 
getting a college degree in kinesiology as well as uh, pursuing my career in cycling. So I raced uh, collegiately through college. And then after college, I pursued my goals of becoming a professional cyclist. So um, from there, I got picked up on a professional team. Um, the team changed a few different names, but it was more or less a triple A team. So that's my kind of the best way I can describe it, but it was road bikes and we traveled all over the world, um, racing the bikes, you know, within the States, as well as, uh, we raced over in Europe, uh, South America, Asia. Uh, I did that for three years. Uh, I loved it. It was an amazing experience. I got to meet a bunch of phenomenal people. I got to travel. Um, but it was definitely hard on me. Uh, I had a lot of injuries throughout that career. I broke my collarbone a few times, my wrist, I had a lot of overuse injuries. So it wore me out the traveling and the racing, uh, after I did that for so many years. But after that, I worked some dead end jobs throughout Colorado. Um, I was a bike mechanic. I worked in the beer industry for a bit. Um, and I was just kind of lost there in Colorado trying to figure out what I really wanted to do. And, you know, I spent all my free time fishing after that. And I saw a job posting for a fishing guide. And so I thought, man, I mean, everyone's telling me I should become a fishing guide. It'd be a pretty cool gig, but I was kind of hesitant in the fact of making, uh, my passion, my career after I did with cycling, it kind of ruined it for me a little bit. So I said, screw it and applied for that position and ended up getting it. And so the first year I spent, um, got the first year I spent guiding, it was tough. You know, everyone knows your first year, you're kind of scrambling to get trips. Uh, you're learning the ropes. You've got these older guys you're working with and, you know, I just wanted to aspire to be the best person I could be as a guide. And I learned a lot that year and I was lucky enough to get asked to become, um, a manager the following year, uh, of the company. Uh, of course I took that position, uh, but I didn't realize what it was going to take. Um, so it ended up being a lot more responsibility than I thought it would be. So I signed up to become a guide and then I find myself sitting in front of a computer, doing payroll, booking trips, uh, dealing with guide drama. Um, but through that experience, I learned a lot. So I ended up managing that guide service for four years um, in Colorado. It was a private fishing ranch um, located just outside of Boulder, Colorado. And in Colorado, I met my wife um, and she was from Wenatchee, Washington. Um, and so she kind of got, after she finished her physical therapy school, she got a job here at Wenatchee and I was like, well, let's do it. Let's move. So, uh, we got packed up everything and we moved out to Wenatchee and we bought a house out here and her whole family lives out here. And I was lucky enough to manage that guide service back in Colorado remotely, um, mm -hmm. here in Wenatchee. So it was kind of a nice buffer to have that going while I started my own uh, guide service here in, in Washington. Um, of course, I, we moved right before COVID and starting a new business during COVID was a little bit tough, but it gave me a lot of time to 
learn the Yakima, learn the Metha River, learn learn the surrounding areas and get the business going. So um, that's kind of when I met uh, Kyle on the river. Uh, he was super nice and was able to help me out with some questions and um, just learning how long floats take and weird log jams and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I'm at now. Uh, now I've been out here for four years. Uh, my guide service, Wenatchee Flyco, has grown exponentially. Um, it's my full-time gig now. I'm not doing anything with the stuff in Colorado. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'm, you know, on, on the river as much as I can guiding, you know, you know, 150 to 200 days a year. So. That's awesome. Yeah, that's rad. I want to, that, that was a great rundown of, of your past. I want to go back to your, your roots and fishing and sure. what, uh, who got you started. Was it something that your mom or dad did your grandparents? How did that start? Yeah. Um, my dad and my grandpa were both fishermen. It was definitely not their like pastime, but they dabbled with it. We had a cabin up in Northern Wisconsin. And so, you know, every summer we'd go up there and there's a bunch of little lakes and it was one of those things I always wanted to do is we could do anything. I just wanted to go fishing. So they'd always take me out. And so at an early age, I was holding a spinning rod, catching crappie and bass and pike and stuff like that. And then a little bit later on, let's see, I was probably about 13 years old. I got my first fly rod from my dad. Um, there was a little stocked trout pond up in Wisconsin by our cabin and it was fly fishing only. And I'd see these big fish swimming in there. And I was like, oh, I gotta get into this, this pond and fish it. Like I need to learn how to fly fish. So I think I begged and begged my parents for a fly rod and they eventually got me one. And I took a class at the local fly shop, um, in the suburbs of Chicago with my dad and kind of learned the basic casting. And we would go up back up to the pond and no luck. And I just did not know what I was doing. I think all I knew how to do was like strip a woolly bugger. And I just couldn't really figure it out. And then every year I'd go up there and try new stuff. And eventually I started cracking the code. And that's kind of how it all started. And then from there, I just, it went crazy. I mean, I was staying up late watching fishing videos i'd get up early on saturday mornings to watch the stuff on espn back before that was the only way you could watch fishing shows the outdoor life network i was going to rent books out of the library uh, i feel that it's it was a lot tougher to learn the sport uh, when i was younger than it is nowadays i mean kids have so much access to youtube and stuff like that it's pretty cool how much stuff they uh, have access to and can learn quickly so uh, I'm definitely jealous of the younger generation. Yeah. So uh, we're learning something. I never knew you were a professional cyclist, which I think is really cool. Um, how does, how do you feel like your professional cyclist career helps you in today's guiding? Like how do you feel like you've picked up any aspects that uh, like help you stay uh, motivated, competitive, anything of that sort? Um. I don't know necessarily. I mean, the biggest thing that I can take away from doing that is that I, I really learned how to suffer um, through racing and I put my body through grueling long races and stuff like that. Um, it doesn't totally correlate to guiding, but uh, I'm a hard worker. I'll 
I'll row the boat all day long and, and work my butt off for, uh, all my clients. Um, yeah, I don't think it correlates totally a ton, but it's something to talk about every day on a guide trip. So it's a pretty cool thing to connect with people. I can't tell you how many people I take out that have a background in cycling or have a family member that was a, a big bike rider. And so it's something cool to talk about with them. So. That's awesome. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, getting kind of burnt out on cycling and kind of like having a job in something that you enjoy. Uh, how has guiding been different? Like, like how, how have you kept from getting burned out in the guiding since you love fly fishing so much? Yeah. And I don't know necessarily why, but it's not as physical. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons that every time I went out on my bike towards the end of my racing career, it was like a torture device um, mentally and physically guiding. It brings me joy every single time I'm out there. It's pretty wild. I mean, the, the, the biking was enjoyable and I love the, the racing aspect of it and the high intensity, but guiding is like a super low intensity to me. And it's like relaxed and you're on the river and you've got beautiful weather um, so even on the toughest days of guiding, I'm like, man, this is not that bad. This is a pretty cool job. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'll get burnt out. I tell myself each year it's, I've been doing it for eight years now and I, I, I get super excited every spring to get the gear ready and start messaging clients and getting things going. And I think I'll, I want to do it for the rest of my life. I really, really enjoy it. I don't can't see myself uh, being in a, a cubicle or something like that. So yeah, maybe one day, you know, having a bunch of people working under me and I don't have to be on the river as much, but you know, I, I really, really enjoy being on the water with people. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think, I think once you lose that passion, that's like, that's when you know it's time to hang it up and move on. But yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people say the same things like, oh, won't you ever get tired of guiding? And it's like, well, probably not. I don't, I don't, I don't ever see and that. Some people do. I mean, there's plenty of guides out there that do it for three years and they're like done. And, but it's, they're not, some people have the, the true love for it. And then some people are just doing it as like a cool job for a few years. And it's, it's hard work. I mean, it's, you're grinding, um, you know, people don't see the work when you come home, you know, calling clients, making sure, figuring out food allergies for the next day, cleaning the boat, re-rigging mm -hmm. rods. Um, you know, it's a, it's a real full-time gig. Um, and people don't realize that, but you know, it's what I love. And I think a lot of other people love it. So, yeah. How do you separate, you know, like you're, there are times that I feel like I get burned out in guiding and, you know, I don't even want to think about fishing either after a trip or on my days off. Like, I don't, I really don't want to fish, but I, I see you getting out a lot and fishing and, and just, you know, just like you were saying, um, I don't know if you were said you were guiding today or if you were out for uh, fun fishing or not, but I, I know that you do go out and you do float and fun fish and just try to learn the water. But but how do you keep it interesting to the point where you don't get burned out on fishing totally from your guiding? Um, I like to do a bunch of different stuff. So it's, I mean, on my days off, 
I'll go if depending on weather wise, I'll go fish for something completely different. So, you know, midsummer, I've been day in and day out on the yak. I will go if I've got a day off. I'll go hike up to a high mountain lake or something like that, um, or go chase bass, or fish with friends. So there's lots of different things you can do in the fishing world that it's not guiding that uh, I really enjoy. And you know, people ask, you know, don't you get sick of that? But like, even on those days off, that's like my time to kind of zen. I'm not necessarily guiding. I'm not tying people's knots. I can do my own thing, um, have a beer with buddies and it's, and it's a relaxed atmosphere. So I just, I'm always craving to catch fish. And if it's not just catching fish, it's, uh, exploring, looking for a new place. So, um, every time I go out, it's uh, R and D. So, um, I think it's very important as a, as a guide to always be out on the water if it, and looking for something new, experiencing different conditions. And if I'm not out there fishing on my own on my days off and I'm, I'm not learning, I've, I've got a little bit of anxiety about that. Like if, you know, I've been gone for four days from the water and I'm not there, like I need to know what's going on, even though something's probably not changed, but I want to know. So, so like, yeah. Like this week, I'll probably go on my days off to go fish the yak just to like wait and see when those squalls are popping or whatnot. So I just, I want to know and be on the water as much as possible. Well, and that's like the, the, the thing with the Yakima out of like a lot of other places that I've fished, the Yakima changes so quickly. Uh, from hour, hour. I mean, it's like overnight. It's a humbling river. I mean, you think you got dialed one day and then the next day you, can't find a fish it's just it it's very frustrating sometimes and yeah i don't know why it's like that but it's a tough river <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that's i i totally you know people or well you said like well you know four days away but four days away can be detrimental you know between you know five fish and 50 fish so it's pretty crazy even if the conditions are exactly the same, even if it's like the same weather four days in a row, it's like this should be working, but it's not. So yeah, it's a, it's a tough river, but when it, when it's good, it is so good. Yeah. And that's what keeps me coming back and keeps clients coming back. Sure. <clears throat> so what made you uh, want to start your own business? I mean, you moved up, you moved to Wenatchee and you were still managing from a distance. Actually, actually real quick, I want to hit that. What yeah. was it like managing um, that business and, and the guides and stuff with that yeah. distance like that? Yeah, it was uh, something I was excited about that they gave me the opportunity to do it remotely, but I was kind of nervous because I knew how important it was to be like on site I had a bunch of good guys working for me. I mean, at the time, I think it was 22 guides working under me and I trusted them all, but it was, it was definitely tough not seeing the day in and day outs of what was going on. Um, I think I, I did my best I could, but I don't think I, I think I did a great job as that manager, but it was very tough not being there to see what was going on day to day. It was just, listening to a guide, he said, she said kind of stuff. And so that was a little bit difficult. 
but for the most part, like the booking of trips, I could do that uh, remotely easily. The payroll was easy to do. I really needed a, a cell phone and a and some Wi-Fi to do most of that job. Uh, most of the guys just kind of took care of themselves, which was great. But yeah, it was tough doing it remotely. But I learned a lot, and it was especially through COVID. I mean, we were going through different regulations left and right you know people could come fish people couldn't fish fish so i was like constantly <laughs> typing up protocols that were changing daily and it was a really tough year um, with that um and it was invaluable experience that i learned from that that job in customer service it was it was a pretty high-end club and so everything had to be kind of perfect and you couldn't mess up and the guides had to be wearing the right clothes and have a good attitude and stuff like that. So it, it was a tough, tough managerial position. But it, what I learned going forward from that is that customer service is so important. And I see that people struggle with that out here. And some, some guides do that, that it's, it's un exponentially important to how have great customer service. Yeah. So why did you start uh, guiding for yourself? Like, why do you feel like, you know, you, you don't want to go join a, you know, a, a shop or, or uh, someone that's been doing it a while? Why did you feel like, or what motivated you to feel like you could do it on your own? Yeah. So moving out here, I was still working for that other business and, I, through that, I kind of realized that I wanted to do my own thing. So I, I learned from that, that, you know, outfitters take a big cut and all this stuff. And sometimes you don't like who you're working for and they're telling you what to do and what not to do. I guess in any job you, you aspire to own your own business or do your own thing. And I just thought it was a time in my life moving here. I'm like, well, there's no guide service in Wenatchee let's try this out. It was kind of, uh, it was a little scary, but at the end of the day, I knew how to, how to guide people. And, and I was like, let's try to make my own business. So I learned via Google kind of like, this is how you get a guide license in Washington. Uh, talked to a few friends, like I'm going to set up a website and do this, uh, whole process. And, it ended up being not that hard and it's been amazing working for myself. It's a little tough to get clientele at first moving in a new place, but I think I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, as much as I love the local outfitters on the Yakima, I want to do my own thing. No one's doing what I'm doing. I was kind of based in Wenatchee. I want to be able to guide on the Yakima, I want to be able to guide on the Met. I want to be, be able to guide on Rocky Ford. I want to be able to guide local lakes and mountain creeks. So I, I saw a niche market for it and I went with it and it's been extremely successful so far. And uh, eventually I think I might hire some people under me if things keep continue the way they are. And that'll be a cool experience on itself too of uh, having employees working under me, but having your own bosses uh, pretty awesome. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And when actually is such a good place for that too, to be so broad in what you offer, because you know, you could be at Rocky Ford 
in what, like an hour, hour and a half or so. About an hour, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it could be on the Yakima, you could go to the Metau, you could, I mean, you have the Columbia River right there. Like, there's just, you're like, I mean, Ellensburg is good because you you have the Yakima there and you have access, but I feel like Wenatchee is perfect because you're like in the middle of so many different things. So you, you can, you kind of have like that Mecca right there. Yeah. I'm not like close to anything, but I'm like a great central location. So um, I'm an hour and a half away from everything, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, the other guides are like, you're driving so much. And back in Colorado, I was driving an hour to go guide each way. And so it didn't even phase me. Um, you know, some days late in the summer, driving over Blue Pass, I'm fried and don't want to be doing it and wish I lived in Ellensburg. Um, but I try to spice it up and do Methow trips and creek trips and stuff like that. So I'm not doing the same monotonous thing year round, uh, which is fun and easy to look forward to so yeah are you driving back and forth from ellensburg every night when you're if you have multiple yeah, trips yeah. every day back and forth man that that blew it past that can get gnarly yeah yeah it's uh this time of year and then the fall it's you know winter it's not too bad but like if it's bad you know it's bad but it's that in between seasons that are dicey when there's just a little bit of black ice. Uh, I was sca- pretty scared. I came up upon a fatal accident this winter heading over to fish. And we were, my buddy and I were like the second people on there to a fatal accident, had to call in uh, through my Garmin in reach. It was pretty, pretty freaky. So definitely it's a, it's a dangerous road and I go slow and, but there's some people that drive like maniacs on that road. So yeah scary stuff but i always bring i've got stuff in my truck if things go bad and that garmin in reach i have that just because that going over that pass every day there's no cell service and if you know break down it's nice to have something like that so how do you so i i I have a similar commute if i if i come from home to go guide every day it's an hour and a half one way I don't have a mountain pass, but I just have a long road. And my only issue in the summertime is a moose walking out in front of me. But how do you justify that drive every day to go guide? Oh, their <laughs> option. <laughs> um, I could stay over there with friends and stuff like that, but I like being home with my wife and my dogs. Um you know, eventually we might try to buy some property over there and, and put a camper or something like that. So during the summer we can spend more time over there and I'm not commuting. Uh, but as of right now, that's kind of the only option. So I'm just stuck with driving a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy driving, you know, listen to a good podcast or music and it goes by pretty quick. The morning commute's good. I've got a cup of coffee and I'm excited about the day. It's usually coming home at the end of the day. I'm I'm tired and just want to be home, but uh, it's not that bad. I get to see cool stuff, you know, being up before sunrise. I can't tell you how many times I've seen elk out and bears and uh, bobcats and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Blue Pass is sketchy, and but driving up to the Med House not too bad. And uh, I don't know. I enjoy driving, so it's not the worst thing. Ask me in 20 years, but right now I'm, I'm okay with it. 
sure. What do you where do you find that you spend most of your time on the Yakima or like what yeah what, probably like, rank 60 them a percent bit. of my time, 60 or 70 percent of my time on the yak, and then I'm uh I mainly are up on the Methow in uh July, August, and September, with mainly most of my trips up on there in September. I do a lot of walking weight stuff up there in September when the river comes low. And then there's a, there's a handful of creeks around here that I'll do trips around Leavenworth. And then I'll do some lake trips. I wish I could get people to do more of them. Um, I really enjoy, uh, chasing warm water species like carp and bass and, um, tiger muskie. But like I said, when we we're talking before the podcast, it's just, it's tough getting people out to do the warm water stuff. They want to go chase trout and, in the river, which I don't blame them. It's an amazing thing, but there's some really cool other options. Um, so typically it's clients that have been out and done the trout thing a few times that want to go do the bass stuff, but um, getting those first time clients to do bass stuff is a little tricky. Yeah. Yeah. We're just talking about how they're missing great opportunities to go chase something else and, and uh, get a feel for something different than a trout pool, you know, like, I mean, nothing like a bass coming up and smacking a popper was you're ripping it across lily pads in the morning or anything. So, yeah, and you don't need you. You can have a a sloppy cast that popper can land. You don't need a great cast, and you just yeah. need to learn how to strip it. You don't need this perfect drift, and uh, they're pretty forgiving. And also, like panfish and stuff are great for kids. Like I. I I've got a little kid that wants to learn how to fly fish. I, I'm, if I can find a little spot with panfish, that's the spot to do it. Like with a four weight, like a squirmy worm, <laughs> they'll yeah. just crush it. What do you feel like uh, you running and offering your own guide service different is different from like uh, other guide service that you compete against? Like, what do you feel like? makes one natural. I mean, you've mentioned a lot of great things like your central, um, you, you know, that you, you guide a lot, you have a lot to offer, but what do you feel like service wise or, um, just all around makes you a little bit different than your, you know, your competitors? Um, I've got a lot of experience fishing, lots of different bodies of water. Um, and I fished, you know, all over the United States and through that, and I've learned a lot of different techniques and I think I can offer my clients something unique every single time. So I might not know one body of water better than someone else, but I'll be able to show them something unique. Um, if that's a, a unique way of streamer fishing or, uh, Let's see, like, uh, I think I just, ha I have some different experience than I think a lot of the, just the typical guides do, uh, just because I've experienced so many different bodies of water, um, through my fishing career, through my childhood and, uh, my customer service, I think is top notch. Yeah. Um, from communicating with the client over the phone or email to, the day before, I think a, a lot of guides fall short on that aspect of the communication and the customer service aspect of it. So I think that's 
extremely important, um, staying in communication with your client, following up post-trip, um, giving them photos, providing them with pins and stuff the next day. So I think there's a lot of things you can go above and beyond and that that's kind of where I strive, uh, is that customer service with the clients. Hmm. Well, what about your day on the water? What does that look like? Um, how does, how do you feel like you exceed when you're, you're out fishing and maybe is it, is it during lunchtime? Do you feel like it's, uh, you know, the experience that you share with them, things you point out, like what makes you feel like your trips are a little different there? Um, it starts before the trip even gets going. Um, I always show up a half an hour before I meet my clients. I like to have all my rods rigged up, um, the boat dialed in, in the water before I, I meet them if I can. Um, so all they need to do is show up and get on the water. I don't want to create any extra burdens for them. Uh, and then once we get on the water, you know, if they're beginners, I want to give them a thorough explanation on and what we're going to be doing throughout the day and, and teach them thoroughly how to cast a fly rod. If not, um, if it's someone experienced, we're getting straight to the water and uh, trying to catch some fish. So on top of that, you know, having great conversation through the day is extremely important. If you're not talking, that day goes by super slow. So I can't tell you how many cool people I get to meet on the water and learn about their lives and their careers. You know, you find out people working the weirdest jobs and that can be a fascinating conversation to talk to about all day. So good conversation, uh, having everything prepped before the day, get, day gets going and then ideally providing them a fantastic day of fishing. You know, you guys are both guides as well and you know that you can't control everything. Uh, but you can control the experience that they have. So Absolutely. some of my best days ever with clients, we catch one fish, you know, it's like tough fishing's tough, but we have amazing conversations and we leave at the end of the day, like hugging each other and we're like, we'll see you again next year. Um, and then some days fishing's phenomenal and it's not the best day. So it's just, it's all about the service you provide to your client. If that's, great communication, great companionship throughout the day. And then ideally really awesome fishing, but you'd be able to teach someone too, which is pretty cool. Um, I always want to talk to my clients before the day gets going and ask them what they want to get out of that day. Sometimes people just want to catch fish, show up and catch fish. Some people want to work on their double haul. Some people want to work on nymphing. Some people want to try to chase big fish. So having clear expectations definitely helps as well. So um, I just want to create the best possible day for someone I want. I've been on plenty of guide trips myself and have seen good guides and bad guides. And I want to, uh, provide that person with an amazing experience. Yeah. You know, working with like, um, with Todd and guides like you, it's, uh, it's funny that you bring that up because like when you go out with people, uh, your expectations are, are already high, right? Cause you're like, this is the service I would provide. And this is the service that I want. And so sometimes if you get like let down, you're like, oh man, like, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a good thing and it's a curse, you know? And I always encourage my guides that work for me to go on guided trips. Um, I try to go on one at least every year. I know that can be expensive, but you learn a lot. You learn 
what to do and what not to do. And everyone does stuff differently and you could pick something up. They're like, man, that's just genius. Or you're like, man, I would never do that. That definitely rubbed me the wrong way. But um, I think it's a great way as a guide to learn and improve. Um, if you can, you know, save up some tip money and go, go on a guided trip, if it's on your body of water or somewhere else. But uh, I think it's an invaluable lesson you can take away. So. Yeah. I, I, I can agree that going on trips like that and getting experience is good, but also, you know, working for different outfitters, different businesses. I, at this point, I've worked for five different outfitters and I've been able to see, you know, things I like about one outfitter, but maybe not but things I do do and don't like about an outfitter and how, you know, how that affects their business. You know, you talked a lot about customer service. I've seen really great customer service and I've seen really bad customer service and just, just a lot of the things you're hitting on communication, customer service, being prepared, having good conversation. I was, you can see a lot of that by, yeah, going on those trips and then it's just getting experience either as a client or as the guide and, and with that business, I think a lot of that, um, and as I'm sure you you can attest, being a manager for outfit, a lot of that trickles down from the top, and how that um, affects the overall trip. Yeah, you got to set set expectations and be a good role model. You know, if you're not, then the guides aren't going to want to work hard under you. Uh, you want to be you're busting your balls as much as you can to know that they're working hard for you. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot working under different people, and people have different ways they run things and you see that on the Yakima and different things, you know, different outfitters have different characteristics and, um, and there's nothing wrong or good with, you know, some people just run things differently, but, um, you know, talking to clients as well that have been out with different people, they'll, they'll give you feedback as well. You're like, Oh, I went out with this guy and this was something weird that he did or I went out with these guys and man, we had a phenomenal day. And you're like, well, what did he do? So, you know, picking people's brains is just invaluable information. Um, you're constantly learning and trying to improve the trades. Yeah. Okay. How many, uh, and it sounds like you have quite a, quite a bit of uh, return clientele, huh? I got a good amount. Um, and that's, that's super fun. I mean, that's the, I think as any guy, that's the, the end all goals to have, you know, almost all your clients repeats, but you know, that, that takes years and years and years, but be able to have the same person come back and be able to ask them about their family or what's been going on. It's, or what, you know, you already know what food they want and stuff like that. It, it's, it's really awesome. It's like fishing with your friends more or less. Um, and you remember the good times that you had prior to it and you try to replicate that. Sometimes it's not the best. I mean, you've got to repeat that you maybe didn't have the best time with or something like that, or, but it's always good to take people out as much as possible because you can kind of convert them. Yeah. To the client you want them to be. You can see them grow. I, I, I've definitely seen that. And, and some people have come out. It's, it's cool to watch that progression. I've had people come from never touching a fly rod to, you know, blossoming them into a, a really great angler. That's super cool. I mean, you feel like, I mean, that is, you had a big aspect of that, that person growing as an angler. Um, I've got a, a couple of kids that come out with me uh, multiple times a year and it's super fun to watch them grow and uh, 
kids are with my favorite people to take out because they're just like a blank slate. They're super excited. Um, sometimes their attention spans tough, but man, it's super fun watching these kids that are into it, uh, catch fish and, and grow as anglers. One thing I really like about new anglers and like you mentioned, like with kids and stuff is you can also set the expectations on like uh, handling fish. Um, you know, that's a huge one. Uh, just like you're setting the expectations on how to be treated. So it's that, it's that first kind of dive into the fishing community. And it's, it's a little nerve wracking because you're either that experience could go good or bad depends on the person. But, um, yeah, it's also very humbling and, and inspirational to be able to, you know, teach them like, okay, this is what we like to do. This is how I like to release fish. This is how I tie this. And it, it's cool to see them like at the end of the day, start asking you questions about like, oh, why did you tie it like that? And it's like, they're picking up on those little tips and knowledges throughout the day. So it's so cool. It's like my favorite thing to watch, uh, the kids get into it, um, and if they're into it, I'll go above and beyond and give them flies and I'll do everything in my power, like give them my phone number. I mean, it's just, uh, I yeah. love seeing that younger generation get into it and you can really shape them. And what I've noticed is that younger generation is like super excited about conservation and they want these bodies of water to be around when they're older. And so that's pretty cool to see. Uh, I think they're very passionate about cleaning up trash and, conserve conservation so <clears throat> keaton <clears throat> <laughs> trying yeah, that, yeah that's really cool and and like um like keaton said you're you're making such a huge impression on that person like i remember people that you know gave me a hat or gave me flies or took time out of their day to message me back and actually like go into detail um on a question that i'm saying oh yeah or no there's like not like a yes or a no it's like a super detailed taking their time out. i remember people that were there for me to do that in the beginning and how much that meant to me and how much you know if, if i had a bad experience i might not be where i am today i might not even be fishing today if i'd had that bad experience so it's super you need powerful. a mentor when you're going through this sport um one way or the other and it I think it's super important as a guide, if you can give out that extra information to, you know, not everyone, but you can tell the people that generally like are passionate about it and want to learn and going above and beyond. Like what Kyle said is I think just super important. Um, yeah. It can really change someone's life. Well, and it's that, you know, it's like you get that information and I've met people that don't want to share their knowledge. I'm like, I understand kind of where you're coming from, but like at the same time, how do you expect things to improve and like, and set that example for that newer angler or that angler that might have a question? Because uh, if you don't give it to them and you feel like you're capable of giving them the right info on how to do something, uh, that's good. But if you don't, you know, they're going to turn to a resource that may not be uh, as helpful or could <laughs> you know, lead them down a, a rough path of mishandling or, or something of that sort. And it, it's not, you know, I, I think people tend to get upset at people that mishandle and yeah, there's people that do it, but I think a lot of people just have never been taught on the proper way to do things. Yeah. I mean, we all 
started that way. I mean, we all took photos of fish in the mud. Like we didn't know any better. Um, and I think we're all guilty of like criticizing people, but I think that, you know, there's a right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. And people just do it. You know, the internet has really made a lot of people pretty mean and I don't like seeing that. And it frustrates me that, there's a lot of trolls out there and if you do one, they're just very opinionated people. So uh, that's one thing about the, the whole worldwide web and social media. I don't love, but uh, there's a lot of great aspects for it as well. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that's how, you know, social media is how I met you, right. And how, yeah. and how we've, we've networked and that's how I, how I've networked with other guides and, just people in the industry and yeah it, it it can be a tool but it can also yeah not be the it cannot be the the best thing for the sport at times i mean shit yeah. this is a form of social media that we're doing right now you know yeah. we're hopping on for the good, for the good of the sport <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying so for sure how many episodes have you guys done now <laughs> I think this okay. one's gonna be fifty-seven or fifty-eight. Yeah, That's not including, yeah, not including you know bonus content that we don't even really count as a full-length episode. So yeah, going it's pretty awesome to see how you guys have grown over the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate that. It's uh, it's been an experience, and I mean, as, as you know, when when you're guiding, it's hard to. That's kind of what you got to focus on. Um, it's hard to do things like this on the side or have side hustles and stuff when you're trying yeah. to get every day of the season that you can get out there. Um, but yeah, we've, we've been, been cranking along and, you know, I've, I, a lot of the stuff we've covered today is, has been great. And, you know, this is, I would say this is up there. One of our top, top episodes, just in, in, in content of, you know, what it takes to be a guide, what it takes to, not only be a guide, but a successful guide and to run a successful business and really just how to kind of get into the industry. Um, you've, you've talked about a lot of great things that, you know, a lot of people don't either know about or don't know you know how to talk about or don't even want to talk about. So I think this has been a, a super helpful episode. And I, I can imagine that this one would definitely help some people out, you know, that are that next generation of guides wanting to get into the industry to to glean some information yeah i'd say that, you know if you want to get into this into the sport and want to become a guide you want to do it because you really really want it just don't dabble with it um you know if you want to do it i mean if you're that guy that deep down all you can do is think about fishing like it's the, it's the thing for you um i mean i probably about think about fishing <sighs> probably every five minutes throughout the day <laughs> or the other, you know, it, it's bad. It's bad. But, um, and one thing I want to talk about is that when you first start off guiding, you're, you're kind of like, man, give me that rod. I want to do that. You know, like you're frustrated watching maybe a bad cast or something like that, or you're there and it's an epic, epic hatch. And you're like just there and you're watching someone below cast after cast. But the more you do it year after year, you get almost more excitement watching someone execute something than you doing it yourself. I love fishing, but 
I really, really enjoy getting that boat into that perfect position and having that perfect person make that cast and execute it. I mean, it's, it's super satisfying. You're, you're fishing vicariously through them. So, uh, you might be on the water 150 days a year, not fishing, but you're fishing vicariously through those people. So it, it's super satisfying. You know, what's chilling to me every time is when you get like a new angler and they're going through, uh, like a, one of the holes that you're like, Oh yeah, there's going to be a fish here. And they hook up and they get that, like, yeah. you're like, Oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah. I mean, today I had a guy, he caught 20 inch fish on his first fish ever on a fly rod and i'm like you're, you're spoiled man like and he, he had his huge grin on his face i mean it was just awesome and he just executed it perfectly but it's yeah that, that's what keeps me coming back i just love that stuff that's so awesome yeah you know it gives me chills keaton is when somebody hooks up on that big fish and then they lose it and it's like oh it's heartbreaking <laughs> you you're, go- hurt, you're hurt more than they are i think yeah. <laughs> Oh, 100%. It's like you, when you'll fish vicariously through somebody, it's like you feel like it just, it's amplified, like the pain or the or the excitement. It's like amplified through you. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty cool I, experience. I had this, I have this one story. I had a, a guy, we we're fishing the canyon and uh, he just wanted to do Tenkara. Like that's it. I don't and, know out of the boat and he was doing you know doing great catching fish and stuff and then we hit this one hole that has been known to have some some sizable fish in it the last couple times I, i've gone through it and this guy hooks up with one of those sizable fish on his tankara rod well this thing takes off and i see it make just three big like hops on the surface up river and then all you hear is crack no and you see the tip just go right down and take off upstream and i'm like well he's like oh he's like i don't really care about the rod but like i feel bad for the fish i was like oh it's gonna like that fish will come out like because it's all barbless hooks and everything i was like as soon as there's slack in that it's just gonna undo and he's gonna swim off i was like your 10 car rods at the bottom now though but there's like for a second there, he looked at me like, Are you gonna dive in after that? And I was like, Absolutely not. I was like, here's a regular rod. So here's a rod with a reel. <laughs> it was fun though. Like uh, that was a that's a memorable moment, you know, through that. Yeah, I bet. So you'll remember that for the rest of your life. <laughs> I can still see the fish making the jumps up, and I'm just like, oh, that's not good. I was like, that's fish that wants to run, and there's nothing for it to run to. So, those Yakima fish are hot. Oh, yeah. Spicy fish. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we, uh, we covered a lot of great topics, Mike. Um, was there anything that we missed that you felt like we should add in? Uh, not really. I mean, I just mean that loves chasing anything that pulls at the end of the fly rod. Um, I aspire to catch a, over a hundred different species of fish on a fly rod. I'm at, I think I'm at like 74 right now. Uh, I've got a little ways to go, but uh, I just love the pursuit of the sport. So that's awesome. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. For sure. I 
I do want to pick your brain a little bit here towards the end on, and and I think it relates well to, you know, being broad in, in the trips that you offer is your, um, uh, was it 25 on the fly? Yeah. It, it seems like, uh, every year you do that, you and your team always, um, knock it out of the park. It feels like you guys always come out on top. Um, how do you, I don't want to say like, how do you do it, but like, what do you think makes you successful in that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing event. Um, I don't think it's going to happen this year, which is a bummer, but, uh, my buddy Waylon and I did this in Colorado when it first started off and I was like, man, this is, sounds like the coolest event. You know, it's 25 different species of fish in two days. And we did it for, uh, I think we did three years in Colorado. And the cool thing about that, that event is that, I mean, it really takes a lot of planning of how, where you're going to go and how long you're spend. And, uh, being successful here in Washington, it would just took a lot of me going out and fishing different spots. So it's, uh, getting on the WDFW website and looking at, you know, where have brown trout been stocked or whatnot. And then you're figuring out, all right, is there something in the vicinity of Wenatchee that I can go hit? And, um, in the past you would go do this. And I think a lot of people that fail at the competition go practice fish like three weeks out, but things change so much in three weeks that you know you're like oh i can catch a crappie right here and then you go back and you're like wait they're not here anymore so a lot of the success has come from pre-fishing that week prior to that competition so uh, almost running that whole competition through your head and going out and driving and checking out those spots so i knew that like i could pull up to this creek and catch a, a brook trout in you know exactly this hole so it's a lot of pre-fishing that goes into it um, and that's, I think why we've been so successful, but Wenatchee is just like a really great place centrally located that we could hop up North and bust out a few species. And then, you know, everything that we did to win those competitions of two years in a row, we're within an hour and a half of Wenatchee, which is pretty cool. Uh, and it's just timing it right. You know, knowing that you go here, 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 you're playing out on Google maps. It's pretty fun just to dial that all in and. Sometimes you're like, I just, you know, you're trying to catch a pike minnow or something. You can't catch it. Or, you know, I think the first year I did it where I'm fishing the yak and I'm trying to catch a darn whitefish and I catch like an 18 inch beautiful cutty. And I'm like, darn it. I already have a cutthroat, you know, like <laughs> I just want a whitey. Um, you're you like, know, it's really hard to catch a whitey or a pike minnow when you want to catch one. <laughs> but yeah, that's an amazing event. And, uh, I wish it was Reg was going to put it on again this year, but um, I just don't think they got a good enough turnout. It's just kind of a, a tough area and a tough weekend to do it, but what a fun, fun event. So maybe I'll, I'll host it some year, but. They're, they're probably like, oh, Mike's team's going to win it again anyway. <laughs> yeah. I just was hoping people would practice more. I mean, it's like in Colorado, the competition was like, pretty crazy it was a lot harder i mean i think the best team got like 22 species one year uh yeah. you know people were catching like tiger muskie mirror carp grass carp i mean all these really tough species um but yeah what a cool event to like go out when water's high and chase something different um 
So yeah, but yeah, it's been a fun event and we're super excited to win it a couple of years in a row, but I'll, I'll be sad that it's gone. But, uh, I mean, to catch, you know, 18 different species or something like that in a weekend is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from me growing up fishing for bass and bluegill and stuff like that. You find out that just dangling a little squirmy worm or something in front of a crappie or bass, I mean, they can't resist it. So it's fly fishing, but um, a lot of it's you're just kind of putting a fly in front of a fish and trying to catch it. And, you know, I think, I mean, some of the years the largemouth bass we caught was like an inch long. <laughs> you know, it's not about size. So, uh, and sometimes fishing's phenomenal in one spot and you just have to leave it to go catch a whitefish somewhere else <laughs> that's what i was just gonna say i think the hardest part would be if i like went out to fish and the fishing was like really good yeah for that species i'd be like fuck man i gotta leave and go catch like 20 more species yeah i mean it's tough I and mean, we've had some days that like we're fishing for the hottens and it's just like crazy and you're like well, i got <laughs> i think we have a couple times we've gone and caught a couple but just because it was fun but yeah we gotta pull up to one spot fish for five minutes and then get in the truck and haul ass to the next spot. <laughs> that sucks, but that's fun. It's what a, about, it's a really what, fun thing. I mean, I'm sure you get it too, where you go to, you're like, okay, I'm going to go get like a crappie in this, in this lake. And you get there and it's like, oh man, an hour has gone by an hour and a half, you know, yep. do you put a time limit. Like, Hey, I, I'm going to spend 30 minutes here. And if I don't get one, I got to go to the next species. Usually you set a time limit, but then you're there and you're like, just one more cast. You like, you know, it's going to happen. And then um, the plan is too to have like plan A and B spots. So like, ideally you're finding a spot that has multiple species. So like I'd find a pond that has, you know, bass, bluegill and crappie in it. Uh, but you know, if like, if that doesn't work out, I can go to like another lake, like Mattoon or something like that. And it's going to have rainbows and bass. Or, so yeah. Having plan A's and B's um, helped with that. But yeah, some days you just, gosh, I mean, it was tough. You Or you'd hook one and it would come off and that was just devastating. And then you're looking at your teammate, you're like, what, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Or you mess up the net job and that was the one fish, but it was pretty yeah. cool. That is cool. And just one more thing on that. And just kind of again, talking about your, having a broad background um, i was talking to a guy today about it um who you know owns a owns a outfitting business and goes fairly big name in the industry up here it's like some of the best fly anglers come from people with backgrounds in you know other parts of fishing whether that's you know hucking bait at stock trout or hucking bait at bluegill or trolling for walleye or whatever it it seems like those people that are more well-rounded make better better anglers because you know you know how you know a fish operates you know how fish eat how they behave and i think just the more well-rounded you can be the um, the better off you'll be as opposed to you know i'm only going to fish dry flies on my 10 car rod in front of keaton's boat instead of i'm going to fish nymphs on the I mean, I think it just makes you, yeah, better well-rounded angler. I mean, if you know that, like, I mean, you see guys on the act, you're like, they're throwing spinners and crushing it, and you're like, well, streamers are going to have to work. Or, like, you see these conventional guys using stuff, and you're like, well, I can 
throw something similar um, and catch them with a fly rod. So, you know, we kind of figured that out with lake trout in Colorado. I mean, we were like, well, these lake trout are coming up into the shallows and the spring and chasing rainbows and the gear guys, you know, you see like a, a YouTube video with gear guys fishing for them. And you're like, well, if they can do it, then I can throw a, an eight inch streamer and catch one too. And we figure that out. So um, I watch a lot of conventional gear fishing videos um, to learn stuff about the fly fishing because a lot of it carries over. Oh, for sure. Well, go ahead, Kyle. I was going to say, I think that kind of takes us into our uh, rapid fire round again. It was a great you know, conversation about your background, Mike, and uh, talking guiding, what it takes to become a guide and, and, you know, really what it takes to become a successful guide and an outfitter. Um, we like to end every episode with a rapid fire round where we ask you some questions where we'll kind of, as soon as you answer them, we'll, we'll fire you off the next question. Feel free. If you want to elaborate on some, you can. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a good way to kind of round out the end of the podcast and get to know you a little bit more. Sounds good. All All right. Right. What's your uh, favorite fish to fish for? Smallmouth bass. Oh, love it. What's a dream destination that you want to fly fish? Either the Seychelles or... Um, Australia. What's your favorite guide snack to have with you? Guide snack. Oh, I don't snack too much on the river when I'm guiding, but you know, good cold LaCroix or bubbly water. Those get me through the days. And when you're not guiding, what, what else gets you through the days? Uh, an ice cold, uh, Mexican lager. Modelo with a lime is kind of my guilty pleasure. Nice. If you if you had to cook like one, like the perfect lunch on the river, what would it be? I've done some good ones. I'm a sucker for doing like tacos on the on the river. Um, you know, bringing all the fixings and sauteing up some meat and some tortillas and uh so it's been one of my favorites. Nice. Uh, you are headed out the door to fish. What's one thing you cannot go without? Uh, my polarized sunglasses, man. I've got you. You can't do a day of guiding or fishing without them. It's nearly impossible. So, I've got a couple pairs in the boat. I got one in the truck. But yeah, definitely my sunglasses. Annette mm. is the close second. Another vote for the polarized sunglasses. That's like number three or four, I think, Kyle. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what are you listening to when you're driving from Wenatchee to the Yakima? I know you said podcasts sometimes. Like, like, what, like what specifically are you listening to or what type of music are you listening to? Um, I'm a big music guy. I left, definitely listen to some podcasts, your guys' podcasts. I'm a big fan of Millhouse. Uh, that's probably my... One of my favorite podcasts. I think they do a great job. Uh, and then if it's music, it's country and western. Um, you know, anything with some twang. Uh, Turnpike Troubadours, um, Tyler Childers, kind of Zach Bryan. Uh, no. 
I'm pretty, I like to listen to everything, but yeah, it's definitely lean towards more of the country and Western stuff. Nice. Cool. Who's the uh, most unique person you've ever fished with? Um, I was lucky enough to guide Chris Tucker and his son back in Colorado. So Chris Tucker is in, you know, the rush hour movies and uh, Friday black uh, comedian. And uh, he was definitely a hoot uh, taken out on the river. I mean, he was just, wiling out i think if you scroll back way in his instagram you can see me guiding him uh he posted it you know guiding in colorado so that was a that was a good that's awesome that's cool um what is something that you are superstitious about in fishing oh you know you know, you guys have talked about like the fruit and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess I'm super just about banana, but I've never had a banana in the boat to make it bad. So I don't know if it's bad or not. Um, some days I like pull out an old crusty hat thinking that that's going to help. Um, but it usually doesn't. So nothing really. Um, it's always windy on the Yakima. So saying the wind word doesn't really matter. Um <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, not really anything. I just try to have good vibes and, and hope the day works out. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what's something you wish you knew when you uh, first started fishing? Uh, I I mean, looking back, I think I, I just wish I would have fished more. I mean, I, I know I fished a lot, but you always think back and you're like, as a kid, I was like just twiddling my fingers some days on summer break. Like I got nothing to do. I'm like, I wish I would have just been out fishing. Yeah. Plenty of time to fish. And uh, I wish I would have just been out doing it more. Even though I did it a lot, but there's always more time to be spent on the water. Absolutely. Uh, would you rather have your client show up 30 minutes early or 30 minutes late? Ooh, good question. Um, depends on the client, but I'm going to go 30 minutes late. Same. I, I was, I was talking to uh, a guy today and it was like, you know, that's, that's my time to chill, get ready. I'm also usually not ready. And it's like, well, now they're looking at their watch, looking at me. I'm like, you showed up a half hour early, man. I mean, I was still drinking my coffee or I don't drink coffee. I was still drinking my mountain ops. I think the perfect thing is like 10 minutes late. Yeah. It's like a little 10 minute buffer to get your stuff ready. But um, yeah, when people show up early, it kind of throws your routine off and you're scrambling and Yeah. Even though, I mean, it's good to show up early to most stuff. Um, I've had clients show up an hour late, and that's kind of a bummer. But that's time into their trip, so I don't – they're taking away time from their day of fishing. They do yeah. that. In, uh, in one word, uh, describe yourself. One word. Humble. All right. Good. So just to kind of finish out the podcast, we've we've gone through a lot of stuff. And with your favorite fishing story. Or one of them. Funny, learning, anything. 
Oh. Mm, favorite fishing story. I've got a lot of goofy ones. Got a lot of crazy things happen on guide trips. Uh, from like losing anchors. And, uh, I did have, so, oh God, it was probably two years ago. I was, uh, not the craziest thing, but two years ago I had a trip plan i'm waiting for my client i text him I'm like where you at he's like oh i thought it was like tomorrow i'm like no i got you down on the calendar for today and i was like ah whatever like let's see if we can reschedule we reschedule it one of my good buddies joe was fishing up river and i'm like called him up I'm like get your ass down here like i've got lunches like i'm taking you on a trip and uh I was kind of rushed in the day. And so we, we run to the trip and it's one of those days on the yak that it's just silly. You know, it was just big fish after big fish on chubbies like late May. And of course I forgot to bring the net and it was like probably the, one of the better days of fishing I've ever had on the Yakima and I didn't have the net and it's hard to land fish without a net from a drift boat. We're trying to pull over, but Man, we probably broke off so many fish just because we couldn't land them. And uh, I'll remember that day for forever. It was just a, a crazy um, thing of experiences to, to happen. But, yeah, it was, you know, the day when it's epic, you can't land half the fish because you don't have, you forgot the net. Yeah. Once again, that's number two. You, you need the net. <laughs> Definitely from a drift boat. I mean, wade fishing can get away with it, but it is tough to land a big fish uh without a net on a drip boat. Yeah. And when you if you add on like a new angler, that's that just completely yep. yeah. Whole but those are those things that like as a guy you forget something you play it off and you do the best job of faking it until you make it and <laughs> let the let the client not know that there's an issue. You just you're confident and you go with the day. You can't let them know. I did that one time and it was like slow and finally we hooked into this big fish and we got it near the boat and the, we ended up losing it. But then I looked down and I was like, oh shit, I forgot my net and we're like halfway through the day and I was like, well, just going to have to figure it out, you know, okay. start using a hat or something, <laughs> it up when I could. A bucket or something. Yeah. Hand me the garbage bucket. You know? <laughs> yeah. So. Yep. You just got to get creative with what you do and, um, uh... Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Keaton's usually pretty safe because they're only catching small fish anyway. Uh, yeah, that's usually what I go for. I try to aim for the smaller fish, hey. pick the big ones. Numbers game is okay. <laughs> well, cool. Thank we really appreciate this, Mike. Thank you guys for having me on here. It's been super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm gonna do an outro here, and we'll we'll kick it and call it good. So. <clears throat> all right uh that was another episode of the young guides podcast we just want to thank mike for hopping on and uh going through all his trials and tribulations with us and uh and talking you know just about fishing and kind of where he's come from and where he's at um we're so grateful for that um mike if someone wanted to go on a trip with you how would they do that yep they can go to my website it's wenatchieflyco.com or they can also find me on 
uh, Facebook and Instagram at, at Wenatchee Flyco. Awesome. Yeah. And as you heard in this podcast, uh, Mike offers a lot of different services. Um, and uh, he's just an outstanding guy and guide. So I uh, highly recommend going with him um, if you got the time and if you can. So uh, we just thank you again and uh, we appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. And some uh, upcoming events. Uh, I got a free fly tying event coming up March 31st. Uh, you can find that on Eventbrite. Find it on our Instagram. Uh, all you got to do is I, I have some extra vices if you, if you need one please message me because I only have uh, so many and, and usually they get taken up, um, but it, and tools, but we do require you bring your own materials. If you can, uh, this is a pretty basic one. So if you've never, you know, fly tied before or, or just getting into it, uh, we're going to be doing Paragon. So it should be a pretty uh, cheap uh, intro into it. Uh, you just have to get a few items and you can DM us and I can send you the list of stuff. So, uh and i hope to see some of you there um let's see what else do i got we got a uh, august 12th we have the cedar river cleanup make sure to get that on your calendars you can find that on eventbrite uh sign up there we'd love to see you out there uh helping clean up our urban fisheries um it'd be awesome um kyle anything you got you're muted oh shoot sorry um March 23rd, uh, pier in Anchorage, there is the Trout Unlimited uh, Spring Shindig. Um, I'm going to, you know, see some people. I know that there's some people that we've had on the podcast going to be there. I'm just kind of going, um, you know, talk to some people in the industry, meet some people. I know Matt's going to be there. I want to say Matt's donating a rod that he built as a raffle or an auction or something. So go check out um that if you're going to be in anchorage i think it's i think you got a it's like 50 dollars a ticket to go they've got like a um uh like a lot a speaker there it'll just be a cool event yeah i want to go meet some people there so if you see me walking around i'll be wearing my alaska rod co hat and um yeah i'll be talking to matt matt's going to be there so if you've ever been interested in alaska rod co rods go um go find matt talk to him talk to him about rods. He'll talk your ear off about building rods. So, uh, that'll be really cool. Um, coming up, I know this is kind of middle of March, but, um, uh, the bait shack on ship Creek here in Anchorage, um, coming up May 1st, they start their, uh, first ship Creek King giveaway. So if you catch the first King salmon in ship Creek, you can be, um, you, will, you, you do get the prize package and bragging rights of getting uh, the first Ship Creek King. So that's coming up quick. And then um, we're having our annual uh, Ship Creek spring cleanup on May 13th. Um, so come on by and uh, pick up some trash for a good cause. Um, Ship Creek runs through downtown Anchorage. It gets a lot of garbage and it gets a lot of angling pressure and it's got um some good salmon runs in there so come support and clean that up um i will say the ice season is just about ending up here in anchorage uh we probably got another three four weeks maybe probably the early to mid april is going to be time to get off the ice so if you're thinking about uh, doing a trip or you know going out personal fishing consider cutting um or putting an end to that probably by the middle of april 
Um, I will also say that if you are interested in getting into ice fishing next year, or maybe you started ice fishing sometime during this season, but don't have the gear, go check out Facebook marketplace, check out Craigslist just in the last week. I've seen a huge explosion of really cheap ice fishing gear for sale, right? Like used gear, you know, rods, augers, sleds, tents, any, pretty much anything to get you started. It's going for really good deals right now in marketplace. So if you're in Anchorage or if you're wherever you are, listen to it. If you in want to get into ice fishing, there's ice fishing available. Go check out your marketplace, your Craigslist, and uh, you can pick that gear up pretty cheap right now. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I want to also put out uh, March 23rd down here in Washington. There, uh, the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers chapter is putting on uh, the uh, fly fishing film tour uh, in Tacoma. Uh, you can find that on their website. Uh, they did post it on their Instagram the other day, um, but it will be on the 23rd at 7 p.m. Um, more information to find on uh, their facebook page or uh on their instagram so make sure to go show support for that uh and they're leading some important causes in our state so very happy to support them um also i think that's i got i got one more event keaton sorry um okay. our friend uh james eicher we, we had him as a guest on the podcast he's a hunting guide here in alaska um he is going to be uh, giving a seminar with uh, backcountry hunters and anglers up here. He's going to be at the Palmer Ale House in Palmer, Alaska on April 7th at 6 p.m. Friday, April 7th at 6 p.m. to uh, give a uh, a bear hunting seminar uh, with an uh, Alaska Department of Fishing Game biologist. Um, and it's called Barrier to Entry. So basically like, um, you know, just getting started and bear hunting in Alaska. So um, we wanted to throw that out there to support James and uh, try to get some people to that event as well. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, there's a lot of great events of, in Alaska, Washington. Uh, I mean, I think when this podcast episode comes out, you're going to miss the Wenatchee event. But if you're in that area, a uh, lot of great stuff going on. It'll actually come out the day, I think, the day of your event. So if you're listening to this in the morning and you're in the Wenatchee area, make sure to go show Mike some love at the the fly fishing film tour this will come out next week yeah oh we're gonna miss it <laughs> yeah uh sorry mike scratch <laughs> that scratch that we'll put out an event thing for you or something after this so good. i appreciate it guys oh man i thought i was looking at the calendar i was i yeah anyways sorry about that mike anyways <laughs> uh cool so we'll just i'll do this then um Thanks for giving our podcast a listen. Uh, keep sharing, uh, spreading the love. Uh, we've gone over 9,000 listens. And to that, that's a that's a big milestone. We're trying to get to 10,000. And then on our Instagram, we're almost to 1,000 followers. So, I mean, we still got a ways to go, but that is very doable for us. We're ecstatic. So keep sharing, keep showing love. Uh, we appreciate it if you share our posts. Uh, if you like something you see, comment, like. Um, and then if you can share our podcast, that would mean the world to us. Um, if you haven't already, please, uh, go to Apple podcasts and leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing, how we can improve. Um, we have some great episodes coming up, uh, and we've actually got some of these episodes off people leaving reviews saying like, Hey, do this one. So we're really excited, uh, with that. Um, we just, I mean, we can't thank you enough for everything that you guys do support, 
Um, and we do see, you know, how we can improve and, and how we can keep growing this and making it better. So uh, really excited for that. Big things to come. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, once again, thank you, Mike, for hopping on. And uh, this was another episode of the Young Guides podcast. We'll catch you on the next one.